We watched Antrim, the deadliest film ever made, and now we're dead. Boo! It's 1,000 Wives of Weird. Welcome to 1,000 Wives of Weird, a podcast that is a celebration of weird movies. I'm Brad Hefner, and with me as always is... Billy Martell. And this week, we watched a little movie that came out recently called Antrim, the deadliest film ever made. Very recently. It came out in 2019. Came out in 2019. Yep. Now, very basically, Antrim is... As it itself claims, it is a entry in the genre of... Uh oh, the movie's gonna kill ya. It it place it intentionally places itself within the movie itself using dialogue, alongside Ringu, and cigarette burns. Verbinski's the ring. Verbinski's my favorite, the ring. My yeah. favorite line in the movie. <laughs> it, it 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 I it was probably an attempt to preemptively defend themselves from the critics. Oh yeah, no, they need to hang that lantern. But intention but it, it does intentionally put themselves in the same line. The biggest difference, I was reading an article about this that, that Brad sent me uh, last night and and the biggest point that that, that, that article had that I, I thought was an interesting way of putting it. As opposed to most of those other films, another one that I would throw on the pile is uh, In the Mouth of Madness. Yes. Uh, most of those films are about a character investigating some sort of reporter or insurance investigator or detective investigating the history of this film that is supposed to be able to kill you. And this film puts you in that character's place. Yes. Where you are watching all these interviews with different people, talking about the film, and then the film itself, the cursed object, is played before your very eyes and ears. And then there's also a little bit of documentary after the fact, assuming that you did not die and or go insane while yeah. watching the film within the film. Yeah, I didn't think about it from that aspect, because I did not read that article because right, yeah. I was busy. Right. But... Um, that was about, like, most of the article was unfortunately just kind of... The, the, the article had a very interesting title where it seemed to be comparing the the film to Dante's Inferno because both of them talk about the different layers of hell. I guess there was there was one other observation the article had that I will get into when we get there. Okay, and that site was 25 years later. Yes. Which is uh, also a... has a lot of Twin Peaks oh, does analysis it? and stuff. Yeah, because it's 25 years later. Oh, okay. I think it started okay. out as a Twin Peaks site and then it branched out to general fandom after the return because... Yeah. There's only so much you can do with... Right, yeah. Twin Peaks only episodes. offers so much material. Yeah. Very basically, Antrim starts out with documentary footage talking mm -hmm. about the movie Antrim. Yep. And how it, as you said, kills people. Kills whoever watches it. Yep. And then also goes into the explanations that dance around... That people have given that dance around why people died after watching the movie. Yeah. Oh, it was all a coincidence. Very much like the reports you hear about... The explorers who uh, discovered mummies' tombs back mm. in the twenties, who all died of mysterious circumstances. Oh, it was this. All oh, it was that. Or was it? 
Yeah, and as you stated, the difference between any other, almost any other killer movie, movie, yeah, is that in this one there's an actual killer VHS tape with like a mouth exactly that chases you down the street and eats mm-hmm. your toes. It's called. Um, I was trying to think of a blockbuster pun. It's called Tapo, the tape monster. VHS, very hungry. Son Simon. of a bitch. Yeah, very <laughs> son of a bitch. Very hungry son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> and there's like a not, cl- not honestly not Jim Henson's best work. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he had had a few that night. He's like. But in VHS, Very Hungry Son of a Bitch, there's a Quint-like character who who labels the creature that. He's like, that's one very hungry son of a bitch. Yeah, so that's the big line of the movie. It like, mm. zooms in, he looks right into camera, and he's like, it's a very hungry son of a bitch. We're gonna need a bigger rewinder. <laughs> Find me the biggest sports car-shaped rewinder you can. <laughs> but... The difference between, in every other movie, the focus is not on the piece. It's on how the piece affects you. Mm-hmm. This, we just see the movie. Yeah. It's all about the movie. So we watch this allegedly cursed movie. Yes. And then it ends, as you said, with more documentary stuff about the movie. About to going into detail about how the movie's supposed to affect you, all this stuff. And, yeah. and the movie Antrim is... Purported to be from 1979. Yes. And it sort of tries to ape classic 70s horror with modern prestige horror. Yes. So it, 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 it uh, you know, all the, all the trappings. So if you've seen the music video for Everybody Talks, uh, it's sort of the same thing here with like a lot of that 70s film grain and, yes. you know, the obviously the classic cars and trying to get that particular look that a lens flare from the sun has on a camera, a 1970s-style grindhouse camera. And there are, in the film itself, without, again, going into too much detail before we get to the spoiler section, there's a lot of elements of uh, 70s grindhouse, much more than I thought. I thought we were going to get something much more demon-related, as demons or eldritch abominations are usually involved in these stories. But in this particular film, it felt a little bit more in the vein, uh, in terms of 70s horror, of like, I Spit on Your Grave, or uh, Last House on the Left, something like that. A little bit. It's Mm -hmm. not too much that. It's more just like, the pacing is very slow. It's... They tried to mimic like the camera techniques and the shot cinematography as much as they could. It, uh-huh. it, it's just this. They tried to. It was their okay. intention to. It was definitely their intention to. Okay. <laughs> uh, and the movie Antrim is about is about a brother and sister who go to a forest. Yep. In order to dig a hole to hell. Yes. To rescue the soul of their dead dog. Right. It's a family picture. Yes. So, before we get into the spoiler section, we just want to give you a recommendation about whether or not you should check out this movie. It's available on Amazon Prime. So, if you want to listen to the spoilers and you don't care about seeing the movie, you can, or vice versa. Billy, would you recommend Antrim, the deadliest film ever made? No. Are you salty because you're dead now? Yes. I'm, I'm very upset. I had so much to live for. 
this podcast isn't even going to be heard by anybody. I don't know if this equipment is picking us up. Well... This entire thing is going to be one long, like... It's an EVP. EVP reading where people are like, I heard a podcast. No, you didn't. Like, you just, you just, you just, you heard what you wanted to hear. And then, you know, people are going to be talking about that more than the actual episode. So I'm, I'm very pissed. Yeah. But, and it's also crowd in here. There's a bunch of ghost hunters. It's... Yeah. I've never seen so many septum piercings and snake bites. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, it's just... Being a ghost is not all it's cracked up to be. It is. No. I was ex- I was hoping for a Casper esque afterlife, and instead it's, I don't know. It's 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 just irritating. It's more of a Gasper because I'm gasping for space with all these fucking mooks around. <laughs> That's right. I hope well, mooks isn't secretly like a racist term. I have no idea. God, I hope you know not. what is secretly a racist term? What J as in jaywalking. Oh, I did not know well, that. Well, it wasn't... I don't know if it was racist, but it was a slur for a slovenly homeless person. It was an, it was an insulting slur for a homeless person, and they used the term jaywalking in political discourse back in the day to make people feel ashamed if they were walking in the street so that they could get car companies off because cars were hitting people in the street, and originally the street was just for everybody. So to make it seem like it was the people's fault instead of the bad motorists... They decided to call it jaywalking to insult people who were dying in the street. Gotcha. Yep. I wasn't listening to most of that. That's okay. Because I was suddenly... Because I'm a ghost. Well, yeah, and ghosts don't deserve a voice. We don't. That's why we don't let them vote. We don't. We don't let them vote. But I was very distracted because I was wondering... (laughs) The term slur against the homeless really set off my mind where I was like, fuck, I guess there are a lot of slurs against the homeless. (laughs) What do they prefer to be called? Like, tramp, bum? Those aren't great. Those they're, are not great. They're so descriptive. <laughs> People really like to bring out the the vibrancy of the homeless. Like, uh, Anyway, so, no. To be more specific and more serious for a second, no. I would not recommend this movie. I kind of hated this movie. That's all right. I went into this movie really wanting to like it I, I i liked the idea of it at first but the minute i started watching the film and it could be i was in a bad mood that happens i'm human or i was the minute i started watching it i realized there was there was a a barrier between me and becoming engrossed in the narrative of this film here's here's the problem with with the film as, as i wrote it when i was watching it the problem with getting into the film is this is fake. <laughs> yeah. And I know it's fake. And with a normal narrative film, I can go along with it because it's clearly not real. So, for instance, Cigarette Burns, I can get involved in the story because I know that Cigarette Burns is fake. So I can just get into it like I get into a book. But with this, I don't know how to judge it because it's a mockumentary, which is not necessarily a comedy documentary, just means a fake documentary. Yeah. So. Should I judge it based on how real it comes across? Because I know it's not real, and there's no way that they can convince me that it is real. So that's not going to work for me. Should I judge it as a narrative film? Because there's no filmmaking being done. It's just a bunch of talking heads, followed by some, frankly, very amateurish cinematography in the, the actual film portion. And in the end, I'm not scared by any of it, and I can't get invested in the story of the kids with the dog, because all I'm thinking about is, and this is the movie that's supposed to kill me, right? Where, where is that? How is that? Why working? am I not dead yet? Why am I not dead yet? Yeah, it's, 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 
the film is trying to be clever, and I, I like I, I said before in our Meet the Hollowheads episode, we applaud the big swings. But this particular big swing did not work for me, and I wouldn't it just even, ended up with me being very irritated. I wouldn't even call this a big swing. Like, it's an interesting gimmick. Okay. But it's... I I appreciate Meet trying the Hollowheads different. is such a unique and singular vision. Yes. Yes. This... Again, is a great gimmick. Yeah, but anybody else could have done this. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, uh, I I agree with that. So so it, to, at the end of the day, it kind of feels like a similar experience to watching Unfriended, where it's like fun gimmick, but none of this is coming together for me. And in the end, I I just am left with the feeling of my time being wasted. Uh, which is not a not a good feeling. No, it's not. That yeah. that should be the end result of a movie. <laughs> what do you think, Brad? I don't hate this movie. Okay. I I think it's it's fine. Mm-hmm. I really like the conceit. There's some really nice shots mm-hmm. in Antrim. There are. There's. And the first time I watched it, I was pretty engrossed because I like modern prestige horror sure. and I like seventies horror. Yeah. So I'm like, this is this is fun. They're trying to mash them up. They're trying to mm-hmm. do the thing, but it just kind of comes off as like wish a twenty four. Oh, okay. I, so I, like, I think I get it. Yeah. You you try to order the witch from Wish. <laughs> And you get Antrim. Watch, this episode comes out right after Wish just completely disappears off the pop culture <laughs> landscape completely. <laughs> but I, I completely get what you're saying, yeah. I would recommend it. It's not... If it were a longer movie, mm-hmm. I would tell people not to waste their time, but it's about an hour and a half. Sure. And there's some good stuff in there. On that, we can agree. Uh, yeah. And I didn't have your immersion problem as much. So without that, I was able... Like, I was I was in there. I wasn't like... Sure. Oh, why isn't this killing me yet? <laughs> but... Is that what I sound like? Oh, my God. You're insufferable to listen to. <laughs> well, I'm glad we have a podcast then. It's like you're a Muppet that's voiced by someone who is fired. <laughs> But hasn't left the studio yet. Every day you show up and it's like... <laughs> can't remember the voice now. Uh, damn it. Uh, Why every, isn't this killing me? Why isn't this killing me? No, that's still not the voice. That's, but it's, that's Kermit the Frog. Actually, I, that's where, that's, <laughs> Kermit the Frog, I have no bones in my <laughs> arms or legs. <laughs> my mother used thalidomide. Why are there so many songs about flippers? <laughs> Gentlemen, put together the standard rich and famous contract for Kermit the Frog. One of my favorite lines in all of cinema. If Kermit were ever on death row, <laughs> why do you think he would be there? What do you think his crime would be? <laughs> He's... Uh, uh, he got hungry one day and ate Miss Piggy. Think you get the death penalty for that? I think so. 
probably. I mean, in the in the world of the Muppets, they're just like animals walking and talking around, so that has to be at least homicide. Yeah, but if there's talking animals, that means uh, God has abandoned the plane of reality. <laughs> Because that's sinful. That's an abomination against God. So God must no longer be present. I'm not so sure. So is cannibalism a crime if there's no God? I, I think you're jumping a little bit. Maybe God just got a little bit more creative. Have you ever heard a Muppet mention God? You got me there. You got me there. Well, there was a fan fiction where they, they doesn't met, count. They met Thor, but uh, otherwise, no. Yeah, I could see some pagan God ruling Muppet land. Sure, yeah. What 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 mythology do you think the Muppets are ruled by? Do you think it's like Krishna, you think maybe? I that? think they follow the Parliament Funkadelic mythology with uh, <laughs> the Maggot Brain, the Star Child, and uh, okay. Sir Noise Devoid de Funk. I'm, I'm not familiar with this. Oh, uh, the amazing bands Parliament and Funkadelic. Okay. Have an internal mythology. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh... I used to know a little bit more than the nothing I can recall right now. Right, right, yeah. But they have their own weird mythology. They have, like, recurring characters and concepts, and... It's kind of like gorillas? I guess. Okay. I don't know much about gorillas, but... They're good. They make good music. Cool. Yeah. So do P-Funk. Good. We're getting off topic. We are. <laughs> Listen to Maggot Brain. It's an amazing album. Listen to Humans. It's a very, very angry, depressing album that will make you think long and hard and cry. But anyway, I would recommend Antrim. Okay. There you go. So now we will begin discussing the movie in depth. Yes. Let's jump in on this. So I wanted to... I had a bone to pick sure. right off the bat. I was I was going in to get this... To watch this movie. I looked up Antrim, the deadliest film ever released. Or ever made, sorry. Yes. It was released in 2019. I pull it up, and immediately on Amazon Prime, which is where this film is available for those who, who believe Brad more than they believe me. How could you? By the way, they... not a lot more people believe Brad because this has a two and a half stars on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that they've heard you, they will change their mind. Obviously. Yeah, but um, the, the film is there, for obviously first result for Andrum, and immediately... After that, there's another film that comes up called Fury of the Demon, which has the tagline, most dangerous movie ever made, as opposed to most dangerous film ever made. And it also was released in 2019, which made me very suspicious. It turns out, looking into it further, the film was actually released in 2016, and Amazon is a lying liar. Really? Yeah, it was released in 2016... And is in, also has the exact same plot about a film that's cursed, but instead of being a film from the 1970s, it's a film made by the famous George Melier, saying that he made a film that is cursed and will kill you if you watch it, that has been lost forever. And I was like, oh, so this is probably just a completely different thing in the same genre. And then I immediately, when you immediately start Antrim, it starts off with a whole bunch of silent movie clips of demons... Some of them are from Haxon, but some of them yeah. look suspiciously like George Melier footage. I am calling shenanigans. Okay. I am calling shenanigans on this whole operation. What was the name of the 2016 movie? The 2016 movie was called 
Fury of the Demon, the most dangerous movie ever made. And this one's called Antrim, the deadliest film ever made. Well, that black and white footage at the top of the movie is like probably my favorite part. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, if some of it's from that, I definitely need to check that out. Probably not. I, I know that some of it, some of it is from Haxon, which is an infamous silent movie. I cannot air quote enough documentary about witchcraft. Uh, and there's also footage from a, I believe, 1916 adaptation of Dante's Inferno. Okay. Uh, specifically, one shot where you see a map of hell with the different layers in it. But I believe that some of the footage is George Melier footage. Okay. But, yeah, I really wanted to... Because he would occasionally have demons or ghosts pop up in his movies. What a fucking Satanist. <laughs> That's what Hollywood is, people. Like, it's just George Melier yeah. is the Hollywood deep state. He is. He's still alive, actually. He and, he and Hitler and Walt Disney are all frozen in the same cabinet. They form a totem pole with their frozen severed heads. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So the... the um, the the triangles in the Illuminati, that's all the three points of the triangle triangle are Hitler, Walt Disney, and George Melier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three men, all equal. <laughs> oh, well they all had mustaches. Yeah. Yeah. They all had skin. They all had skin. They all had human eyes. They all had human eyes. They all they all uh... Fucking brothers separated at birth, huh? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. This is directed by David Amito and Michael Lassini, who have not done... This is not a criticism of them, but this is one of their first films. Yeah, no, that's never a criticism with us. Like, I mean, we, we loved Violence Voyager, and, mm -hmm. and that director has not done a lot. Ujicha. Ujicha. Uh, but yes. Uh, like I said, this film has two and a half stars on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And I note... and. Two and a half stars is a bizarrely specific flag for me because interesting. Amazon, no matter what it is, Amazon reviews are usually pretty high. So sure. if something is low like that, but not like like one and a half, like a half star or something, right? It's something that's divisive enough to cause that split. So like Mother had two and a half. The Jake Gyllenhaal movie Enemy. Which is a very, very odd, super odd and confusing movie. I think I've heard of this. Is this the one with the giant spider? Yes. Yeah, I've heard of that movie. Yeah. yeah. That was at two and a half stars. Okay. So it's it's always, whenever something's two and a half stars, I sort of raise my eyebrow a little bit. Right, right. Okay. The movie begins with some very cool, very interesting footage of devils and demons from older movies in black and white. Right. Would love to get a list of everything they pulled from because this is some really great looking stuff. I do I definitely know that some of it is Haxon. Yeah, I recognize some from Haxon as well. You can always tell it's Haxon because it, it it includes the famous shot of a demon churning butter in an extremely masturbatory way. I uh, love that shot of that demon masturbating with the butter. It's great. Pre-code movies are great. <laughs> well, that was German, so they wouldn't have have had to worry about the code anyway. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But it is also pre-code. We're told that in 1988, the year I was born... Oh, fun. ...in Budapest, Hungary, a movie theater burnt to the ground, killing 56 people who were watching Antrim. Yes. The fire seemed to have originated from multiple places in the audience, not the projection room. And at that very moment, you were born. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, 
mass fire murder in the same theater in fact yeah, yeah no yeah i was born from it was like athena i was born from the side of the real <laughs> i sprung fully formed from the the film case i thought you were gonna say the the curse of the film caused someone's head to explode and you popped out of it that might have happened too i was i was a baby i couldn't remember even though i came out fully formed i still had the mind of a baby <laughs> You're like Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Your body's always been fully grown, but People, your mind had to develop. I had to... Yeah, for like 10 years, I was just yeah. like a fucking moron. <laughs> and I need an adult amount of food, and I was taking adult shits in my adult <laughs> pants. It was a nightmare. It was like, it was like fucking Kafka. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. This is my life trauma. I'm sorry. I... I'm sorry. I I have that condition from Joker where I laugh when I'm upset. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That is, movie really raised a lot of awareness for your condition. It did. Yeah. I'm very I'm very happy with it. I did a walkathon for uh, inappropriate laughing. You <laughs> did. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Todd Phillips, what an ally. Yep. A man talks about other killer movies. Yep. Katu's Ringu. Verbinski's The Ring. Uh, John Carpenter's made-for-TV movie Cigarette Burns. Oh, my God. By the way, Cigarette Burns, fucking amazing. Oh, my God. Cigarette Burns and Ringu, actually, but Cigarette Burns especially. Absolutely get a recommendation Do you think this is the only time that Gore Verbinski has ever been referred to as Verbinski? (laughs) Absolutely not. Do you think this was any... This was... No, you're right. Yeah, no, he's... I'm trying to slam Gore Gore Verbinski. I don't know why. I'm trying to start beef. (laughs) Yeah, why are you why are you beefing with Verbinsk? We're Don't to- beef the Ber- Verbinsk. You're right. Yeah. I wish you would have gotten to me sooner before I made this horrible, <laughs> life altering mistake. We stand the Verbinsk. This is the No. <laughs> no, you couldn't get there. What the fuck good does he make? I have no idea. I don't even Why know. the hell are you defending this man then? I don't know. I'm I'm yes anding you. <laughs> No, you're yes anding Gore Verbinski. Yes, I am. I am yes. We stand Verbinsk. <laughs> We're told that Antrim was submitted to several film festivals, yes. and everyone who watched it died. Of mysterious circumstances. And finally, in San Francisco, 1993, a screening was held, but before the movie, the audience got anxious and tried to flee, mm-hmm. but all the exits were locked. Yes. And then they started to riot, and a pregnant lady died. Yes. And it turns out that they were all dosed with acid, which was in the popcorn butter. Which honestly was, in my opinion, the scariest story that they told during the documentary part. I wasn't, for for whatever reason, like again, I had problems getting into this movie. Mm. But like they kept talking about, and this person was poisoned by a rare fish, and this person fell I, out down the stairs. I liked the rare fish one. It okay. was it was weird enough that it was like <laughs> it was almost like spitefully coincidental. <laughs> like I like that it's... the curse was like that, just like I'm gonna drag this fucking fish a fucking thousand miles away from its home and everything it knows. It's never gonna fuck any other fish like it here. It's so far from home just to kill this dude. I do kind of wish that the Final Destination movies were like that, whereas instead of being these bizarre um 
Rube Goldberg machines that kill people. It was just sort of like, and then, thousands of miles away, at the exact moment that they escaped the plane crash, a rare fish got separated from its mother and swam all the way over here, and it just, like, cuts to a random scene of them on the beach, and one of those, like, ow, damn it, fish, and then just falls over dead. It would be like a Tom Clancy novel where he would, um... (laughs) Where he would like start out with a tree being cut down, and then he'd follow yeah. the tree for a couple hundred pages, and then it would figure into the plot. It would, yeah, it gets turned into a crucifix on someone's door that falls down and cr- crushes someone's head in. I would love that. I would also love a Final Destination movie that was just like death being called into like a cosmic office and being like, ah! his boss is like, "What the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> you need to fix this." And then they're just like. He keeps getting called in for meetings with managers, and it's just like, yeah. this is fucking bad, man. Oh like, God. how are you fucking up this bad? Who would you cast as death in the Final Destination universe? Because they've never shown him, or her, or them. That's a good question. I've never seen a Final Destination movie. I would cast Alan Cumming. Sure. Because I think it would be funny if he was like, can't you just, like, have him trip into a sewer or something? And he's like, but I've spent weeks setting up these dominoes! Like, it would be it would be really, really funny. And as everyone knows, Final Destination is a franchise of comedies. Is so, it? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it totally is. It is an absolutely intentional comedy. But yeah, I found the LSD popcorn story to be kind of actually threatening and scary yeah yeah I, you were also mostly a teetotaler and everything so yes i am yeah. that would i mean it's a so it's being, a frightening thing because no one should be dosed without their consent yeah but it, it's that i think that adds a level of scary to I, you i do have an i do have like a uh a, a sort of phobia of losing control uh so that that very well might have added to that for me uh, yeah, it's any any kind of like that's mind altering substance or like story of hypnotism affects me a little bit more than other people, and that's why like, you can't listen to the Prince song "Let's Go Crazy" because you're worried that it's going to make you go crazy. Right? Yeah, exactly. You succumb yeah. very easily to peer pressure. I, I do, I do. I, 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 every time I listen to Bat Dance, I have enough trouble. I don't need to listen to yeah. any other Prince stuff. Is that the only Prince song you've ever heard is Bad Dance? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that sheltered. <laughs> what there are you... other Prince songs in <clears throat> Batman. True. He did the whole soundtrack. He did do the whole soundtrack. I've, I've, heard, I've heard those, and that's it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Top ten Prince albums, well, really, there's only one Batman soundtrack. <laughs> it's great. It's, that's my, that's my clickhole article. It's just like, <laughs> top five Prince Albums that are the Batman soundtrack, <laughs> or just like someone who is like, "Wow, I wonder why the Batman soundtrack guy is playing the Super Bowl? That came out like thirty years ago." <laughs> that was actually my reaction when he came out, though. I had no idea who he was. Really, I really didn't. This was... fucking fool that I conceived was actually you. <laughs> I was a little kid, like, when it happened, but I was, like, legitimately, I had no idea who he was. I also legitimately, when the Super Bowl did Paul McCartney, I had no idea who he was until he started playing Live and Let Die, and okay. I was, like, the Bond movie guy. So, my entire life has just been discovering classic musicians everyone else knows through very specific movies that they did. 
Well, Ringo did a surprising amount of acting, so if you ever want to learn more about the Beatles. <laughs> I know about the Beatles now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and Ringo and Paul were both like, thank God, Billy finally listened to us. Yeah. That was very important to them. Hey, Billy. It's your chum, Paul McCartney. <laughs> wow. You sound remarkably similar to how Brad thinks I sound. <laughs> well, are you from Liverpool? No. I'm from Maine. Well, that's a funny place to have a Liverpoolian accent. <laughs> anyway, just wanted to pop in and thank you for being a fan of my band, The Beatles. Oh, you're welcome. Great band. You're you're worth every penny. Every fan counts. <laughs> Good. Um, Ta-ta. Oh, man. We have so many celebrities that come in here. You <laughs> know. <laughs> okay. Oh, we're told that the movie has certain peculiarities that will cause... Excuse me. Just a second. Uh, a part of a light fixture in my ceiling fell out of the ceiling and bounced across the floor. Uh, so start that over again. <laughs> no, I think we should leave that in. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's cool that your apartment is falling down. I live in a goddamn cave, people. <laughs> this is this is a depressing-ass apartment. I don't know. It's not bad. Okay. I mean, granted, I don't have to live here. Yeah, but... I have to live here. <laughs> I don't know, knock out one of these walls, give yourself some air. I'm not allowed. Well. I'm not actually allowed to have any of these posters on the just wall. Just the ghost, don't disrespect Oh, sorry. It's the ghost of our cat. Oh. Yeah. Riddle. He was very, uh, he was very much a troublemaker. Rest in power, Riddle. Rest in power, Riddle. He was a black cat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're told that the movie has certain peculiarities that will cause physical and emotional changes. Yes. Which most movies should cause some sort of emotional change. Right. And they, they even justify it that way. They're like, well, some movies have been shown to patients in hospitals and have made them feel better. So can a movie make you feel worse? I think so, yes. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> what bold speculation. <laughs> Isaac Asimov, eat your worm-riddled dick. <laughs> some... <laughs> Somewhere, who's who's that guy? Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Somewhere, Neil deGrasse Tyson is on Twitter, just going like, "This is the most scientifically accurate movie ever made." <laughs> I have absolutely nothing to comment on. And we're also told that explicit and graphic footage seems to have been added in later. Okay, that's part of the movie that like legitimately bothered me. Oh, it's super fucking dumb. It's so dumb. It's like, oh man, I mean, I'm not sure the movie we made is scary enough yet. It's super... Let's imply that there's a fucking murder. Like, Mr. Plinkett edited his home movies into this fucking review, into this fucking movie. It's the dumbest part of the movie. It's very creepypasta. Oh, my God. It's... And also, it's clearly not part of the original film because it's shot on a different type of camera. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's, It's... This entire... This is my other problem with the documentary footage. It feels like they made a movie and were like... Man, I don't know if this can stand on its own. Let's add a whole bunch of extra shit. And that's the big question that we need to try to figure out is... Is this movie better without that documentary layer? If you just saw Antrim... Yes. And it was just the movie Antrim... Yes. Would you have liked it more? If you like, it wasn't like, it's gonna kill you. It's gonna kill you. Yeah. Uh, I, my immediate answer is yes. Okay. I, I think so. I don't think that Antrim, the move, the when I say Antrim, I, in this particular case, I mean the movie within the movie Antrim. Yes. 
oh my god, I don't believe that Antrim is a very good movie. But I think that it would have stood up to scrutiny better, to my mind, without the documentary bits explaining away everything about it. On the other hand, would we be talking about it on this podcast without that documentary stuff? I don't think so. Probably not. Yeah, because uh, without the documentary stuff, it is just a, a somewhat surreal 70s-style uh, grindhouse picture with some Lynchian elements thrown in. I, I don't know that there's much Lynch in there. There's one particular sequence that reminded me of one very specific Lynch sequence. Okay. Oh, actually two that remind me of two specific Lynch sequences, so I, I put that as a moniker on it. Yeah. It, it, I, I think if it would just have stood on its own, it's like... Mm-hmm. Or if there had been, like, a ten-second car at the beginning that, like, that's like, this is a lost film that has right. affected every... What if, what if the stakes weren't so high? What if it wasn't, this film will kill you, it's that strange things happen to people who watch this film? Yeah, even that would be better. Like I, I after the documentary footage is passed, there is a black screen with text on it that says, "By continuing to watch this film, you are agreeing to that the producers have no culpability for your actions." Which is a very, very, very old scare tactic. Yes, it's a very cheap and gimmicky thing that would happen a lot in like the forties and fifties. Precisely. But the thing is, I like movies from the 40s and the 50s, especially yeah. horror movies, so that I didn't have a problem with, and I kind of liked that there was a countdown to it. Yeah. Um, that countdown was way too long. It was way too long. It went on for far too long, and then it was followed up by the traditional 70s... Uh, beep, countdown. Beep, beep, countdown. Yeah, like, one of my favorite parts of one of my favorite movies, James Whale's 1931 Frankenstein, is when the studio mandated announcer comes out at the beginning, Edward Van Sloan, and says, it is one of the strangest tales ever told. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you are not willing to put your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to. Well, we warn you. There's something really spooky in horror show about that, and I enjoy that. On the other hand, it's also one of the lamest parts of MST3K classic, The Screaming Skull. Where they say anyone who dies of fright while watching this movie gets a free casket. <laughs> Which is a terrible business model. Like <laughs> the idea is that is that like, yeah, we made a movie that's that fucking good, motherfuckers. It's gonna yeah. kill all y'all. But then you have to buy all these caskets. So the movie <laughs> they wouldn't give you that offer if the movie were that scary. No, they would not. And it is not. Antrim is supposed to be from nineteen seventy nine. The bulk of the credits seem to be in Cyrillic text. Hungary was part of the Soviet Union, so that would make sense, but yes. you'd think they would still be in, like, Hungarian and not... They seem to have um, sort of switched up a lot of the languages. Like, some of the characters in the in the credits, most of the credits are, as you said, in, in, those, in that text form. But there, every once in a while, you'll see, like, another name in a different language and, and all this. So there seems to be just sort of this sort of otherness they're trying to put on the film this is this mystery at first i thought it was like a whole mishmash of different languages and mm-hmm. i thought that there was like a weird casting thing going on but when i watched it again i realized yeah. it was mostly just that cyrillic 
but I thought the same way you did, and I really liked that. It was like, ooh, this is a weird, very subtle, unsettling thing. Right. It's 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 adding that extra layer of uh, this is different. Yeah. It's it's sort of a, a, a subconscious uncanny valley effect. Exactly. And speaking of the uncanny valley, when the movie begins, we get some creepy, distorted like singing. It was yes. Like, wow, this is very atmospheric already. This is a very interesting choice. But then it corrects itself and goes to a normal pitch, like la 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 la. Yeah, it, it's the the score is very interesting. I actually like the score. My biggest problem with it is that the audio quality is way too good for seventies cinema. Yes. They try and add a few little like warbles and stuff. Like you said, like, there's a correction yeah. at the beginning where it's like, and the film stock is very dirty and yeah, but it, it definitely. The it's 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 a little bit both in terms of music and dialogue. The sound quality was not seventies. No, yeah. Even like there's a couple moments where I was like, oh man, one thing that seventies did that would have screamed seventies is really bad dubbing. Yes, there was a lot of really bad dubbing, especially in seventies movies, uh, especially since this is supposed to be a foreign film. Wouldn't that be great if they put that in? And but and occasionally they did do dubbing, but it was always with modern dubbing techniques. And I was like, damn it, damn it, damn it. Yeah. So close and yet so far. We see a young boy petting a dog and a blonde girl. The dog yes. is injected with something. Yes. Now, when I first watched this movie, I thought the kids were doing this to the dog. Yeah, I thought this was going to be... And again, I like that really unsettled me. I was like... Whoa, these children are killing a dog right away. That's pretty fucking gnarly. Yeah. So, I w- again, I was going into this with like this sort of like, wow, this is already pretty heavy. Pretty heavy. Well, there's also like a certain expectation, if you have seen Cigarette Burns, if you have seen Ringu, the expectation, or Verbinsk's The Ring, Ring. the expectation that you have is that a cursed movie is not a normal narrative film. Yes. There's something inherently wrong. In Cigarette Burns, some spoilers for Cigarette Burns, the premise of the film, the the content of the film that drives people crazy is an actual angel. Like, they get one. Like, mm-hmm. a real live angel <laughs> They They for get the a film. fucking angel. Yeah, they get an actual angel and they torture it. They cut yeah. off its wings. They, they, they make it bleed. And so there's something inherently fucked up about uh, on on a on a cosmic level to what you're watching. Same with the the Ringu and the Ring. They go another direction where it's the story. It's very of, surreal. It's very it's very surreal. But it's it, the images match up to the telling the story essentially of this abused little girl whose spirit haunts this tape. This movie. So I think both of us kind of went into this film, it, especially with like the needle and the very close-up shots that they that they do. Um, it you expect something really horrible to happen right off the bat because it's like there must be some reason why this film is going to drive me insane. Well, to be fair to the movie, mm-hmm. in the documentary intro, there is a guy who says like it's not super crazy it's not super jump out of your seat scary yeah it's so i i was already like okay so it's not going to be just like a gore fest or something right it, it's there's something inherently in the film yes. that's twisted and again this is why it would be better if the stakes were lower like if it mm-hmm. just like if it's like 
yeah, you watch this movie and reality gets thin, or you watch this movie and you start to have real fucking bad luck, man. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. if it were like that, because not every cursed thing is going needs to be, like, super insane. Right, yeah. Like, there's that, actually, I believe it's a Hungarian song called something like Gloomy Sunday that was known as a suicide song where people listened to it and committed suicide. Okay. But it wasn't this, it wasn't like this super fucked up thing. It was just a piece of music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The two children ride home with their mother after the dog is put to sleep. The boy, Nathan, asks if the dog, Maxine, went to heaven. Mm -hmm. Mom tells him, no, Maxine isn't in heaven because she was bad. Mm -hmm. Good parenting. Yeah, it's it's good to, you know, to let your kids know that not all dogs go to heaven. Yeah. Yeah, which we see a sign that says dogs go to heaven. Right before this, do we? Oh, yes, uh, it's on uh, the oh, wall of the. That's right. Vets. That's right. So that's why he. That's why he asked the question. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Nathan's mother disappears from the driver's seat. He looks over and sees his sister Orly asleep with blood flowing down her forehead. Yes. Did, did Did you have any interpretation for this? I was still trying to figure out where the film was going at this point, but immediately after the the head bleeding, it cuts to him other things and then he wakes up from so, a nightmare from yeah. a nightmare so i just assumed that this was all part of the same nightmare and then that's almost confirmed later on because later on we find out that the sister has no idea where he got the idea that their dog is in hell yeah from so even and we know he has car, recurring nightmares yeah even though she was in the car when this was said yeah. either she was napping or he's remembering it differently because it's a nightmare and this is is an aspect of the movie that I did like is this sort of questionable, uh, unreliable point of view characters mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Is it real? Is it not? Especially in the early going. I will say right off the bat, one of the shots that I really enjoyed was the very opening of the film starts inside Maxine's nose and pulls out. Yeah. Which, if you go real close to a dog's nose, it has a very interesting uh, texture to it. So it, it reminded me of two things. It reminded me of Junji Ito, mm-hmm. Spirals, and it also reminded me of the armadillo from the opening of... Well, not the opening, but from the the first act of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is another oh. 70s grindhouse film. I thought you were going to say the ear from Blue Velvet, and this was one of your Lynch sequences. No, but... Going to Lynch, it would remind me of that sequence from Twin Peaks where Leland Palmer is sitting there staring at the wall and the camera zooms into a hole in the wall Mm -hmm. and things get really intense for a minute and you're like, why am I terrified? And they're like, no reason, keep going. And the story just continues. Like, it did kind of remind me of that. But yeah, and then my my and this is where my big problem with the cinematography comes in is there's there are every once in a while there's a shot like that and I'm like, yeah. And then, for a lot of the movie, the f- cinematography, for me, felt very modern and very film student. That's why I keep saying it's sort of like a mashup of modern prestige and 70s. Like it's, yeah. They don't really get the 70s camera style down at all. They don't. And it's... It's wh- mostly... It's mostly just the fucking filter that they slap on. Yeah, it's just a filter, and it's it's that's that's kind of what annoyed me. It's it's, it's it reminded me a bit of Call of Cthulhu, which is a silent movie adapted from H.P. Lovecraft's uh, Call of Cthulhu that was made 
in modern day, but it was supposed to be a reference to 1920s cinema. And every once in a while in that film, more than this one, I think, they nail the style of the era. But more often than not, they fuck it up because yeah. they're they're using modern cameras and just slapping a filter on it. And there are certain things that you would never do in a 1920s film, like a close-up, yeah. uh, that you do all the time now because that's just the way film... And, and people, like, Stranger Things is a pretty good job of capturing the cinematography of an 80s film. But that, that's so much easier because 80s film yeah. built the groundwork for what we all do in movies now as opposed to 70s which is almost a lost version of filmmaking yes at this point yeah it's it's just the filter and sometimes the filter looks very believable oh yeah especially whenever there's a lens flare yes there's a very specific look to a 70s lens flare and they got it nathan is played by rowan smith Orly is played by Nicole Tompkins, who is also a voice actress. Orly's the name of the older sister, if we didn't say that yet. Yes. We get a mishmash of images. Maxine, a black figure in a fire, a goat-headed statue. Nathan's sister wakes him up in a a tent. It was a nightmare, which he has been having a lot. Yes. Orly hums to help Nathan get back to sleep, and she hums the opening theme, which I thought was a very nice layer thing. Yes. Orly and Nathan are going to bring back someone's soul. As they're about to enter a state park, they find a little shrine with candles and pictures and a big old sign that says not to kill yourself. Yeah, so combining with that and with something that happens later, definitely giving some shades of the Japanese suicide forest. Uh, Akikahara. Yes, yeah. Yep, and you'd think that Orly would know that maybe, or be like, you would think. or see that sign and be like, Hmm. Might be a <laughs> fucked up place to bring a child. Well, she has to bring him there because that's, that's the that's the location that she's totally not making up. Yeah, and th- that's the place where the devil fell. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, Orly's not maybe the best big sister. Here, here's another thing about the film that that I might be reading this into it. Okay, but it felt to me that they were. I don't know if they made this movie before they made the documentary footage, had the idea for the documentary footage, or if they made it along with it. But there felt to me like there was an element to it, along with the like the the creepy pasta footage and the editing and the elements of the story, where they were like, ah, when a plot hole would come up or something that didn't make sense, they were like, does it need to? It's just a cursed movie. It's not supposed to make sense. It's yeah. supposed to be weird, and they would just leave it in. Oh, speaking of cursed movies, which we've been doing for the last hour. Yes. You know, this, watching Antrim, made us dig into our own collections of cursed movies. We, and we did. We brought a couple to talk about, Billy. Billy, what's what's your first cursed movie there? Well, uh, see, going through my list of, of cursed movies, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's, it's always difficult to, to separate the weed from the chaff, because there are some cursed movies that have the reputation of being cursed movies, but aren't really cursed movies. Like, for instance, there was William Castle's Fuck It, yeah, where he ran out of ideas for gimmicks, and he just had Vincent Price hide in the back of a theater with a Tommy gun. So, like, he did end up killing everyone with the movie, but, yeah. like, it wasn't a curse. It was Vincent Price's Tommy gun. Wow, I didn't know that Vincent Price was a mass murderer. It's not very well known, but, yeah, he, 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 he killed a lot of people. Well, good for him that he got away with it. Yeah, yeah, he totally got away with it. It's the mustache. Everyone trusted him with that mustache. But uh, personally, my favorite cursed movie is David Lynch's Unanswered Questions. Yeah. Which is a sort of uh, David Lynch's answer to My Dinner with Andre, 
where it's just David Lynch in a booth in a diner, and different people come up to him, almost like in the in the the latter half of the Book of Job, and they come up to him and they posit <laughs> theories, artistic theories about the meanings of his movies and he just consistently refuses to answer any of them occasionally adding something else adding a a, a nebulous phrase that he will then refuse to elaborate on and over the course of the film the viewer is lulled into this brain dead state which they almost never wake up from whenever they but if they ever do wake up from this coma they are just really into transcendental meditation wow yeah I've not seen this movie. No, well, because I'm not have. into transcendental meditation. Yeah, uh, yeah, because you have to pay for it. Um, <laughs> but I oh, thought very capitalist. I thought when you when you said it was like the Book of Job that people were coming up to Lynch and trying to get him to reject God, <laughs> and he just well, goes already there, bucko. <laughs> no, they're trying it to get him to reveal his secrets. Gotcha. And no, they, I, I listened to the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll get to your third one in a bit. Sure. And we'll break out mine then, too. Okay. So, this sign, this suicide, this don't commit suicide sign, mm-hmm. is in English. The characters speak in English. Yes. The text of the credits leads us to believe that they should be speaking Russian. The premiere in Budapest, Grand, it was nine years after it was made. Right. Suggests maybe Hungarian, but for some reason... And the fact that they're at the suicide forests, probably Japanese. I feel like there are other suicide forests. They just don't have as good of a uh, press manager. Oh, okay. Okay. No, not all of them get visited by Logan Paul. No. Right. God. I'm so jealous of that forest. You want to be visited by Logan Paul? I mean, who's Logan Paul? Are, are you actually asking? Are no, you? I know. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm good. aware. Good, good, good. All right. Because I just so, don't want to get into that story. <laughs> This is a thing where this sort of ruins it for me because they're not going the distance with this. Like, okay, if you want to be like, yeah, this is a cursed movie. It's from the Soviet Union in 1979. Mm-hmm. And I will excuse not having the budget to get period appropriate equipment mm-hmm. or shoot on actual film stock or whatever. Yeah. But if you're not going to have them speaking Russian, like, don't throw in the foreign text just to be, for us to go like, oh, mysterious. Um, just make it some fucking English uh, English language production. Like, what difference does it make? Like, it's not right. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's weirder that it somehow ended up in the Soviet Union. Sure. Or if you want to give it that foreign flavor while still making it in English, make it an Italian feature. Sure, and that, have it dubbed. That, because all Italian features are dubbed anyway. Yeah. And you can uh, also have it... And also, t- the Italian cinema was a big part of the 70s grindhouse oeuvre. So... And, I mean, you could even keep it in Russia and have it dubbed. And sure. it's not like the dubbing needs to sound great. No. And it would actually make location suiting a lot easier, because they yes. were outside the entire fucking time. They were. Yeah. Um... Orly consults a mystic tome. She raises the, the book to the sky and it blocks the sun. I like this shot. It's the book that was given to her by Ike. Ike. Mm-hmm. Dwight D. Eisenhower, yes. Master of the Occult. <laughs> master of the Occult. <laughs> That's an EC comic title that never took off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But it was the best one. Though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of every issue, he warned the reader about the military-industrial complex. <laughs> And we never listened. We never listened. That's why it was so unpopular in the 1950s. She reads that the shrine is filled with offerings. Everything there is something somebody once loved. To enter the forest, you have to make an offering of something very special. It's to keep bad things out. Exactly. I thought it was to keep bad things in. The kid asks her, is it to keep bad things in? And she says, no, it's to keep bad things out. I feel like it's reversed. I watched it twice to make okay. sure. <laughs> I mean, I also watched it twice, so... <laughs> Not the movie, just that one scene. Okay. Because I, I was sure that I'd gotten it wrong, and I, I watched it again. I was like, no, no, she says to keep the bad things gotcha. out. And again, this sort of like world-building, if they had... Eventually it's revealed that Orly has made all this up as a yes. terrible form of therapy for her brother. Yes. If Leave therapy to therapists, kids. If they had, instead of that angle gone with just a straight story of like the straight fantasy horror story yeah where they're actually making this journey yeah it would be great yeah i think it would be so much better uh yeah i mean there there are lots of uh, like with many i i feel like there was another movie that we talked about that did this oh uh the very first one tracks tracks which title i can never remember but uh like with tracks you need to Pick a, a place to go, yeah, and then go there as fast as you can. Well, I think the movie was trying for like this double juke, where it was like, "Hey, it's not real, but it is." Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think so. And I think it should have just gone, "It is." Yeah, and like, it's on us, the viewer, to be like, "Okay, is this for real? Right? Is this for real? Right? Hmm." Like Instead we, of we got so much material out of talking about fucking Martin. Yeah. And, yeah, just just go there. Just and fucking you, go there. You can still have the ambiguousness, like, you can have these clues that it's not real. Sure. Like, when we first see the inside of the book, and it's done in, like, sort of this childish drawings, we're like, well, that doesn't really track. That That's a nice, subtle... And, and the book is written in English. Yes. Yeah. English and in pen. So you're like... But at the same time, it's... You can build this sort of naive fantasy where it's like, it doesn't matter what the book like. It looks like it's still... It, it looks childlike because it is an object for a child to go on this adventure. It is also, in-universe, such a cheaply made film that yes. one could... Like, there is there is a, uh, I believe, Hindu remake of The Evil Dead where they didn't know what to put in their version of the Necronomicon, so they printed out fan art of Darth Maul from oh, the okay. internet and they filled the Necronomicon with Darth Maul fan art. <laughs> I'm serious. Okay. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. So, like, you know, you, you work with what you got. It, I hope it was all Rule 34 fan art. <laughs> no. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't like Darth Maul swinging around his uh, two-headed cock. No, it was not. Uh, Darth Maul was two-headed cock, although that would have been amazing. And uh, <laughs> it would have made me much more interested. Yeah. But no, no they, they just, uh, they literally took the first results that you get on Google for, like, scary picture gotcha. and put it in. Uh, we're, as you said, we're told this information comes from someone named Ike. Yes. Nathan takes a piss and sees no one gets out alive carved very neatly into a fallen log. And he hears something, it sounds like something's, uh, like, skittering about in the trees above him, and he looks up, and for a minute I had a very strong Violence Voyager flashback of a kid with a bowl haircut 
in blonde hair peeing and something coming down from him from above. Yeah. The chimpanzee from, no, from I, Miles Voyager. You had this look. I wasn't sure you were. No, you, yeah. Okay. But, I was uh, recalling that iconic moment from Violence Voyager. Yeah, the, the most iconic moment. So I was just like, ah. Just had a very strong moment of, there's a chimp going to attack him. And then there wasn't. And again, this no one gets out alive stuff is sort of cheesy, sort of. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're going for that, that prestige air, that '70s air, like I feel like you should avoid sort of very obvious trappings like this. If it might be a reference, because it, again, they they reference the the concept of hell having layers. When you approach hell in Dante's Inferno, there is a message that says, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Yes. So there is a possibility that they were going for the similar vibe, just with a somewhat more generic message. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Sure. And I'll concede that to the movie. Okay. Mark it down. Write uh, it down. We give the we give the movie back its its negative point for that. Orly tells Nathan that this forest holds the spot where the devil landed when he fell from heaven. Yes. They can find the very spot he hit. They'll find the entrance to hell. The Antrum. Mm-hmm. And again, this is some gnarly backstory. This is some gnarly lore. Like, I was really digging the movie. Sure. And then, okay, so this is another thing in the article that the article that I read gave me. Antrum is... I thought it was a weird foreign misspelling of atrium. Yeah. Talking about being an entrance to uh, to the devil's the devil's house. Uh, but instead, uh, it was antrum is actually just a word for like an orifice or yeah. like or like an empty hole, uh, sometimes in bone. And this was pointed out to me by the article. I did not know that. And they posit that the reason why that's the title is because it's secretly telling you that there's nothing there except what's in your mind. There's like Yoda in the forest with Luke. The only, the only thing that's there is what you bring with you. Which, if that was their intention, go fuck yourself, you pretentious assholes. <laughs> <laughs> this article was written by Chad Hindman, okay. by the way. It's called A Map of Hell, Antrim, Dante's Inferno, and Layered Meaning. There's there's Chad for you. He's always looking for them layers. They find the spot and set up camp. They set up a star with a religious symbol on each corner. Yep. And here's another hint that this might not be the most professional outfit. <laughs> as like their symbol for Judaism, instead of going for the Star of David, they just have a menorah. Yeah. Which is not even like a high holiday for Jewish right. people. Right, right. Like they went into a New York bodega and they just picked up whatever they could, whatever knickknacks they could find. Can you get menorahs at bodegas? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're like little like uh, religious knickknack shops and stuff all over the place. Okay. Yeah. You just get a little Buddha, get a little Hindu thing, whatever, whatever floats your boat. As we mentioned, Orly's book is written in pen on very fresh white paper. Yes. They recite a protection spell over and over. As Orly begins shouting the spell, the light on her body dims and dims as she's positioned in front of the sun. I also really enjoyed this shot. Great shot. Then her voice distorts and gets kind of cheesy. Like, this movie builds to, like, things that are yeah. that I appreciate, and then it will usually manage to undercut them in some the way. The thing it builds to is almost never interesting. It's, it's, yeah. There is a shot around this point, I think it's just before the scene, which might be my favorite shot in the entire movie, where they're walking along an almost completely flat, no trees or anything. The sky behind them is red and purple. 
and as they're talking, you can see a slight overlaid outline of a demon's head. Yes. Looking into the audience like the cowboy at the end of the Great Train Robbery. It's another, that's another silent movie reference for those who don't know. But uh, he's, 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 and that demon comes back several times. But that's another Lynchy moment, which reminded me of the end of, I believe, the next to last episode of The Return, where uh, Kyle MacLachlan's head is just overlaid over a series of scenes that have nothing to do with it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the pair we get to dig. Uh, well, they move a bunch of sticks out of the way first. Yes. In a moment that was clearly, the director just said, move these sticks, and then just, like, filmed them in real time and cut the best points together, because you see, like, the, the kid playing Nathan falling over the sticks and stuff. and So you get some, like, genuine, truthful moments, which is good, because a lot of the acting in this is very stilted. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Uh, They're child actors. It's what you're going to get. Yeah. You're going to get what you're going to get, and you're going to be happy with it. Orly tells Nathan more information from Ike. Ike asks her if Ike really said that, and it sounds like Nathan knows about Ike, and this is a nice little mm-hmm. curious thing. They do some nice sewing of details, and... Nathan is always operating on a slightly different playing field than his sister. Even when she thinks she's, like, leading him around by the nose, he's always, like, got some other game playing in his yeah. head. Which I is another aspect of the movie I really appreciated. Sure. Uh, and here's probably the most bizarre sequence of the movie. Orly tells Nathan to look. There's a demon. Yes. And the demon is this bizarre stop-motion squirrel. This is when I started to be excited that the movie was going to get a lot weirder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, this... does not live up to that. But it almost looks like a model from our now lost Blood Tea and Red String episode. Yes, it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. Watch the movie. Definitely watch the movie. Uh, it's available on Amazon Prime. Yeah, we will probably eventually do the episode again, but we'll have to give it a while. We'll have to give it a while so that we can not just be repeating ourselves. It has very shaggy fur. It yep. makes weird noises. It moves mm-hmm. very jerkily. Herky has, jerky. Has these long, sharp teeth. Yes. It's so weird, and I was hoping like. Is this what animals look like in this world? I was it hoping appears like, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I was hoping like we'd see like a deer that looked like this. Like like this was Yeah, like uh where the budget went. If you wanted to do this as like a movie where thing spooky things are definitely not real, it would have just been a squirrel. Yeah. And that would have been a very easy early indicator from the movie that she's playing with him. But yeah, they make it the stop motion creature and then the audience is left wondering was it really a demon, or was it just a squirrel? Yeah. I don't fucking know. Because it, like, it was a squirrel, but it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is... And she tells him, you can cast away the demon by putting your power into the sticks. Yep. And casting it away like a wand. And they, they run after the squirrel and chase each other around and have some fun brother and sister time. Yep. There is literally no reason for the squirrel to be represented as it as it is yeah the only thing i can possibly think of is script calls for squirrel <laughs> can't find a squirrel today guess we need to get the do the very intensive laborious <laughs> process of stop motion wouldn't it be funny if they couldn't find a stop motion guy so they went with a marionette it just cut around and it's just this marionette of us growing <laughs> 
Like, it's a demon. <laughs> I mean, I'd fucking love that. I'd be like, holy shit, this movie is cursed. It's like a really bad marionette. It's not even touching the ground as it walks. It's just like floating along. You can see the guy's boots behind it as he's moving. It's just a taxidermied squirrel on a string. <laughs> oh my god, that would be so fucked up. It's, uh, it's literally no. That's even worse. He's a taxidermied squirrel on a, on one string, yeah. and it's literally just being dragged along the 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 forest floor collecting leaves as it goes. Can I tell you about this idea I had? Okay, go ahead. And the only connection is strings. Okay, great. But imagine... Another movie we were almost reviewing. Yes, someday we will talk about strings. <laughs> we will. I know you're on the edge of your fucking seats. We are all, yeah, so many but strings fans in our audience. Picture this. Yeah. A ceiling fan. Okay. On high. Yes. And to each blade, by a string, is attached a desk fan. Okay. And those are also on. I, I, okay, I've guessed. <laughs> the court situation is going to be a nightmare. The court situation. I was about to bring up the court situation. I only. Yeah. I just thought about that. Yeah. But <laughs> other than that, pretty great idea, huh? No. <laughs> Sounds like it's going to hit a lot of people in the face with a lot of very heavy equipment. <laughs> I mean, I guess I was imagining it more of like, you know, Darth Vader's pod that he's in in Empire Strikes Back where you're getting this... This fan pod. Oh, okay. That, like, you sit in the center and... Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I'd just be sitting there terrified because the heavy fans are gonna, are, are gonna, like, fly off and break some shit. I did consider that aspect of it. Uh... <laughs> Try to move ahead. Keep going ahead. <laughs> I'm saying, before you bring this Shark Tank, maybe like workshop a couple of these ideas a little. I bit. mean, I don't need to make money off of this. I think it's just a good idea. This is just a gift to you, your gift to the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want someone to do it because I won't. Because <laughs> well, like you're you not said, doing it. No, it sounds destructive and dangerous. <laughs> but someone should. <laughs> okay. Uh, and here's our first hint that the adventure may not be as serious as we first thought. Mm -hmm. Oh, another great thing would have been if this was some sort of symptom of the forest corruption. Like oh, if there's sure. like this sort of unreality that spreads. Yeah. We get a screen saying it's the first layer, Nefastus. And again, going back to the music video for Everybody Talks, much like at the beginning of that movie where they have the title for the fake movie within the movie. Zombie bikers from hell, and it sounds like something that Cinemassacre would come up with. <laughs> uh, it's it's the same thing in this movie where every time there's a new layer and a word comes up again. I don't remember the titles of the different layers either, so I'll just say Hecate or something like that. There'll be a voice comes that comes in says Hecate. Yeah, and that was supposed to be scary, but was very goofy. Now, when I was doing research. I found that nefastus can mean a couple things, hmm. but in one context, it means contrary to divine law. Hmm. So that's a neat little thing. Fun. The pair break for lunch and see someone walking around. They follow him and watch him strip to his boxers. Yes. And at this point in the movie, I was like, yeah, this is pretty, this is pretty weird, this is pretty... I can see this getting fucked up. That squirrel yeah. was amazing. Yeah. I thought they killed the dog. The mom disappeared. Like, I'm enjoying it. And we see the man, he bows his head over a stuffed animal, and he's a Japanese man. We yes. realize he's about to commit seppuku, because yes. he's in the suicide forest. He has a big old bowie knife. And 
his own suicide force in his own country was not good enough for him, so he no. had to travel. He's, or maybe he lives over here. He sampled many suicide forests across the world until he could find one that was worthy of his stuffed uh, animal. You gotta shop around. Yeah. As he's about to drive the knife into his abdomen, Nathan or shouts and stops him. Yes. The man complains in Japanese for a while, breaks down a little bit. Yes. He apologizes and then leaves. Yes. And I was like, okay, this is still this is still strange. This is still. It was a good scene. It's okay. Yeah. It, it's. I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's. It's very pointless. Bizarrely obvious. Well, that character comes back again. You have to introduce him somehow. Yeah. So. Yeah. Where did you think the movie was going to go at this point? At this point, I, I had stopped caring. Really? I, this early? Oh, yeah. No, I, I very early on. I, I stopped caring I stopped caring in the middle of the documentary footage. Wow. And then when the movie started, I was like, well, maybe this is a second chance. And then I saw how bad the cinematography was, and I was like, never mind. You also watched this on your phone. I did, because the internet has been down in my house for a long time. And my phone is the only thing that has 4G, so I couldn't watch it on my smart TV. But, um, yeah, so maybe Lynch is right. Maybe I haven't seen the movie. I think it definitely impacted it a little bit. I'm Probably. not going to say it It would be night and day, but I think... And also the problem is I take notes on my phone, so yeah. every time I, I oh, watch shit. that, the screen would get even smaller. <laughs> you know, in the... Back when I was doing this podcast with Brendan, yeah, we used to write our notes out by hand. Oh, yeah. I see. Because often... You're saying you're better than me? I'm saying we used less efficient. I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying in that particular scenario, yes, it wouldn't been better to use pen and paper. True, that is true. After some more digging, Nathan mm -hmm. finds a pill bottle. Oh, and a fucking gun. They find, and he uh, cocks it like a little idiot. Yeah. Nathan sees multiple dark figures in the tree line and screams. Well, first he hands the gun to his sister. He gives the gun to Orly. Yeah. Nathan sees multiple dark figures in the tree line and screams. And Orly accidentally fires the gun. The buried gun, which is loaded and still works. Now, what would have been great is if she would have fired it. Yeah. And what, it would have exploded in her hand. Ooh. And, like, she's just like, ah, ah. Because that can happen. That can happen. Yeah. <laughs> Practice proper gun maintenance, kids. Yeah. Don't, don't fire pit guns. Yeah, don't, don't, don't fire pit guns. Also, don't cock a random gun you find in a forest. If He's you're not a planning child. On firing it. He's a child. Like he can't. Oh, be... come on! Like in the seventies, it was a different time for yeah. child gun safety. You know, back in the day, in the in like the thirties and forties, you could order a chain machine gun off of the back of a comic book. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you could just send off enough box tops, and you get a gun to murder your whole neighborhood. Then again, yeah. The back of comic books were the wish of that time. That is entirely correct. That is absolutely correct. If you, ever, if you ever want uh, a, a funny day, go and, and look up old comic book ads on Google Images. You get some weird shit. They promised godlike powers. <laughs> they absolutely did. Yeah. You get x-ray specs, sea monkeys with actual souls. Hey, Squirt, you ever want to decide who lives or dies? <laughs> It's well, with the judgmatic for only five cents, you can <laughs> rule a, over the damned. It's always it's always something ridiculously cheap. Yeah, with five cents, these are actual ears worn by Leonard Nimoy. It was it was insane, absolutely insane. 
the past is another planet. But anyway, okay, so Nathan tells his sister that they've reached through the first layer of hell. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't hear the trumpets you're supposed to hear. Yes. Which is a a bit of foreshadowing for later. And there's a nice little bit where in the background we see a cross etched in the dirt, which doesn't make any sense, but it's there. Mm -hmm. And then in the next shot, that cross is inverted. Yes, and then in a couple shots later, it's not inverted again. Yeah. Spooky, not continuity error. <laughs> I guess that's that's one of the big benefits of making a cursed film is that continuity adds to the illusion of unearthliness. See, that's that's definitely what the directors thought. Yeah. Yeah. I should say continuity problems adds continuity to problems, yeah. Is it also like there'll be every once in a while they'll do like a thing where like Orly reaches out her hand to Nathan, then it will cut and it will show the action again. They don't do that nearly enough for my for my taste. Yeah, like I have seen art films that have legitimately made me feel like I was going to die after watching them. This did not give me that feeling. No. Uh, <laughs> that night, Orly tells Nathan to get ready for bed. Nathan tells Orly her feet stink. Mm-hmm. Orly tells Nathan to brush her teeth. He won't go until she washes her feet. Orly consults her book mm-hmm. and tells Nathan about Cerberus. They don't have anything to worry about as long as they don't smell foul. Nathan goes to brush his teeth. Also, once I realized that the 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 book from Ike was a fake book, yeah, it kind of erased this for me because, of course, you're a kid. What are you going to put as being at the gates of hell? But the first time I heard that, it did piss me off. It's the, so obvious. It's so uh, Cerberus is such an obvious reference and such an obviously wrong reference if you do any research because he's he guards the gates to. Hades, not hell. And yeah. so many people conflate hell and Hades, and they're not the same thing no. at all. But yeah. But that's here just comes a private beef. And here comes more conflation, although I love this scene. Mm-hmm. It's very spooky, it's very atmospheric. Nathan's at the water's edge, brushing his teeth in the pitch black. He sees a dark figure standing, paddling a rickety boat yes. with a nude woman on it. Yes. This figure is meant to vote Karen, the ferryman over the river Styx. Exactly. But I loved this sequence. It was very spooky. Mm-hmm. It was very, like I said, atmospheric. Mm-hmm. It was great. I was still on board with the movie at this point. Sure. I was still like, this is this is neat. I'm enjoying this. Yeah. I was confused why he had to wander so far away from the tent in order to brush his teeth. That was pretty contrived. Yeah. See, at this point, I had so I'd given up on the movie so much that all I was doing was nitpicking. So most of my notes are little things like that. Uh, Nathan has another nightmare. We see the nude woman from the boat in the forest. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of drawings. One of a demon emerging from a hole in three over three different drawings. Another series shows two demons putting on a human skin suits. Yes. One of the skin suits is a man in white briefs, an army jacket, and a hat with small antlers. Yes. See a blurry figure in live action that resembles this drawing. Mm-hmm. Another shot of the Baphomet statue. Now here's another shot I loved. Here's yeah. another very when the movie gets the the feeling of like that uneasy feeling. Yeah. We get a long shot of a white demon or the devil or Astaroth as we'll find might be the culprit behind everything. Yeah. With all white sort of white pancake makeup, big ears and very dim lighting and he's just staring at the camera. It's the same shot that was overlaid over the previous thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's repeated three times in the film, and I, it is my favorite shot every time it shows up. It's great. It's so good. It's, and again, 
the most frustrating type of movies are not bad movies. Yes. They are the movies that are so close to good. Yes. Yeah. It's it's when it's 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 the Tyra Banks element. We enter the second the the second layer, Maleficus, which roughly translates to villain. Ooh. Nathan tells Orly when she asks how he knows that they're in the second layer, he says, because they scratched me. Mm. And this is a nice little moment, too, where it's like he rolls up his sleeve and there's a bunch of scratches. So at this point, we're sort of going back and forth. At least I still was between, like, the mystical tome is clearly written by a child. Yes. But now still real things are happening. Right. Is is this still an integrated fantasy world where, again, because the object is possessed by a child, it is childlike. And when Nathan tells her this, he he visibly appears possessed. Like, he's... He's saying everything in a very sort of dreamlike, trance-like way. He's not moving his face a lot, you know. Yeah. The pair go looking for Maxine. They have to find something of hers. That's how they'll know they've redeemed her. We Mm -hmm. get the first shot of the quote-unquote explicit footage that was mentioned in the intro. Very quick, spliced-in black-and-white footage. A man and a woman nude, except for what appear to be duct-tape undergarments. Yeah. Which I feel bad for those actors. I know they had to have had something... Underneath, uh, yeah, but still, that must have been. You know that they like just missed the the cardboard or something, and the guy and, and one of them got some pubic hair stuck on it, and it ended up getting ripped off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. probably happened. That probably happened on set. They're in great distress. They're what appears to be in like a communal shower area, maybe in like a mental mm-hmm. hospital. And again, if you're gonna put, I, mean, I hate to keep comparing this, but they literally compared themselves to it. If you're if you're gonna have spliced in footage of people being tortured in a movie like this, it's supposed to be cursed. I, I get it. They said, "Oh, it's not. It's not like gross out scary. It's just like surprising." Cigarette Burns only shows like brief clips of the movie. Yeah. But one of those clips is someone's fingernails coming off of their fingers. Yeah. Like you just. That's all I needed to know. Yes, this movie is cursed. Never show it to me again. Well, what I hate is that. All this black and white explicit footage shit. Yeah. Again, clearly added in after the film Antrim was made. Yes. It it takes away from what is supposed to be the power of Antrim. Yes. Antrim shouldn't need this extra footage to be creepy. Right, exactly. It, this what this makes me think of is like there was some try hard fucking edgelord kid who got a hold of Antrim's like, I know what'll make this spooky. Right. Some snuff. Yeah, exactly. It's it's yeah, it's it, 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 it's super unneeded. If it, the movie is cursed, it should the curse should be able to stand on its own. Yes. Don't dilute the curse with your try-hard edgelord bullshit. Now, there is another sort of reveal like that later that I was much more accepting of. All throughout the movie, we see sigils appear. Yes. And we're told that these sigils were added on thin pieces of plastic laid over the frames. Yes. And I'm like, okay. I'm I'm okay with that, but the I found the sigil super annoying. I did too, mm-hmm. but the method which with with which they were explained, I yes. was okay with. No, I was fine with that. Again, the sigils are this try hard creepypasta bullshit, like the worst kinds of creepypasta. Yeah. Like, this is a step above. Like, it's a couple steps above being like they're having six 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 all over. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and the the only thing that kind of makes the sigils work is that they are apparently is explained at the end of the movie, specifically sigils for a specific demon, Astaroth. Which Astaroth. It but, is implied the movie is summoning. Yes, but at the same time, no, I don't buy it. No, it's, it's just it's just some try hard bullshit. 
As they're walking... I can watch you two poop in my own time, thank you. Yes. Uh, As they're walking, they're nearby a stream. Another shot I love, another moment I love, a very quick, sort of like, unsettling events. Mm -hmm. A dark hand reaches out and plucks something from the water. Very, very quickly. It's a blink and you'll miss it moment. I think I did blink then, because I don't remember that. It's a great little... Like, this is the sort of building horror I like. Just stuff in the background, stuff very quick when... Yes. When when we you see shit like no one gets out alive, that that does less for me. Yeah, agreed. Orly plants Maxine's collar close by. This is the first time we get a, an explicit message. And I was confused, and we didn't yeah. mention this earlier, but the offering that Orly and Nathan make at the shrine at the beginning was Maxine's, Maxine's collar. And I was wondering how she got Maxine's collar back, but when Nathan goes to take a piss, she disappears briefly. Yes. So she went back to get it. She went back to get it so that he would think, oh, we left this at the beginning, but here it is again. Which We're saving her soul. Which, since we know that this is a fabrication of Orly's, was that shrine actually there because of the suicide forest, or is that something Orly created? I think it was probably already there because there's... They're, they're siblings, so if she had gotten all of those items herself and put them there, he would have been like, hey, why is your teddy bear and my Transformers and, and mom's flowers and stuff like that, why is that all there? I feel like it was probably a another shrine that she just added into the mythos of the gotcha. world she was building. This what if this was all a long con to bilk Nathan out of his money? <laughs> what, if, what if her endgame was like... We can get Orly, we can take Orly's collar back, but I need a thousand dollars. Nathan tells Orly they're in the third layer now. It's more dangerous. Orly says it's not. The two hear something, I think? I, I couldn't tell if it was like a very deep sort of brassy bellow that they're hearing, mm-hmm. or it's on the soundtrack, or what it was. They seem to react to this sound. Yeah, I think it's it's the horns he was expecting from earlier, I think. Oh, okay. That's That was my interpretation. Well, that's a nice tie-in. Yeah, it's the horns from earlier, but now they, they hear them on the third layer. And now we get another book title card. Mm-hmm. Layer 3, Demonium. Mm-hmm. And as we learn in The Good Place, Pandemonium is a place where all demons live. Mm. So maybe Demonium is a place where some of the demons live part of the time. Like, maybe it's workhousing. Is Pan a character in The Good Place? No. Okay. But Pan means all. Well, Pan is also a Greek god. Yeah. 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 Nathan runs off. Orly grabs the collar and gives chase. Mm-hmm. The two find a little uh, junkyard. Yes. There's a man cooking and another man. The one white briefs from the drawing we saw earlier. Who is wearing an antler hat. Is fucking a dead deer. Yes, he is. Which is, it's not, we're not given like a close-up of that. It's just sort of in the background. Which, again, I was still like, okay, that's that's a weird detail in a cursed movie. Like, yep, I, I can jive with it. Mm-hmm. And now we finally see the Baphomet statue that we've yes. been seeing in flashback. And this is a fucking wonderful prop. It is a wonderful prop. Interesting thing, the Baphomet statue... That that with the famous Baphomet thing with the with the hand like it has yeah. in the movie and everything, that is a copyrighted image. Is it? It is. It is copyrighted by the Church of Satanism in America, uh, and so the Baphomet statue is used in a bunch of different places. And in the past, the Church of Satanism has sued over its use, especially in the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. They were sued over the use of the Baphomet statue in their first season. 
So if this movie becomes a little bit more popular, they might have some issues coming. <laughs> <laughs> now, from what I understand, there's like two prominent churches of Satan that are named I do not know which thing. one I'm talking about. Yeah, no. uh, and one of them's more chill about things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, this Baphomet, it's basically a brass bowl where it's, it's heated and it's made out of uh, like car parts and shit. Yes, because like, they're in this junkyard and. It's a fucking great statue. It's so great. And it's it's literally like an oven. Yeah. And they've put a human being in it. Mm-hmm. And he's roasting. And I remember when this movie... I first heard about this movie a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And every time a movie comes on social media or a, a streaming service, they're like, it's the scariest movie ever made. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and this one had the... <laughs> The It's Deadly too, uh. And while I was looking for uh, YouTube videos about this, mm-hmm. I saw a bunch of videos like... And also, Google search results. Will this will Antrim actually kill me? <laughs> and a lot of like vlogs where it's like, I watched this deadly movie, and mostly people looking unimpressed in the thumbnails. Uh, yeah. But I remember seeing this Baphomet statue and becoming very like, I knew I wanted to see this movie just because of that prop. And yes, it's also, a, it's a wonderful prop. It's it is, great. It is the highlight of the movie. It's great design. There's a fire under the Baphomet statue, so it's actively being worked as a brass bull. Yes. The statue's rocking, we hear some murmuring from inside, and we realize it's the Japanese man from before. Because we see the stuffed animal he was carting around is lying on the ground near where they are cooking him. Yes. So you, you get the sense, oh, it's it's that guy. I guess he's dying after all today. Now, Billy, do you want to tell me about your last cursed movie that you brought today? Oh, yes. Um, this one is, is much less interesting than, than the other ones, if, if I'm... But it, it's, it has a special place in my heart. You know that I am a, a huge fan of the works of Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. And the original idea behind his... What he considered to be his masterpiece, Fantasia, was that he would put out a new movie almost every year using different pieces of classical music and, and creating new works of art in each one. Unfortunately, most people only know about Fantasia and the aborted attempt at rebooting the franchise Fantasia 2000. Now, the reason why it was cut off is not as many people assume the fact that Fantasia did not make as much money and was not as commercially successful as Walt Disney had hoped. The real reason why there is not as many Fantasia movies as Walt Disney wanted is because he let the devil in at the end of the last movie, at the, of the first movie, with mm-hmm. the Chernabog sequence. And even though he thought he had included enough holy imagery at the very end of the movie to contain it, he found that when he went to the drawing board to create the second Fantasia, Chernabog had become so powerful within the concept of the film itself that that had actually taken over the entire film and the artists found that they could not draw any more sequences within the within Fantasia no matter what classical music piece they were working off of without Chernabog invading which is what led to the infamous lost Walt Disney cursed movie Walt Disney's Fantasia 2 Oops All Chernabog <laughs> <laughs> That was a long way to go for that punchline, but I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> now, I brought a couple, too. Okay. This first one is uh, it's by James Franco. Oh, my God. Yeah. He made a cursed film. He did? Yep. Uh, it's shot on hair. 
It's shot on hair? Yeah, the film is made out of hair. I just, okay. It's called Hey Girl. <laughs> okay. And when you watch it, uh-huh. James Franco instantly gets your number. <laughs> Whether you're male or female. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He just gets it. it doesn't matter your age either. Oh, God. Yeah. Does he use it? Yeah. <laughs> he That's, just, he just, he just starts texting you asking for nudes. Is there like a plot to hair, or is it? Uh, it's not called hair. It's called Hey Girl. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And it's it's three hours of James Franco doing his Tommy Wiseau impression. <laughs> I didn't even realize that you could that you could put a film on hair that you could run hair through a projector. Yeah. I mean, wow. It's James Franco's black magic. <laughs> I knew I knew he had a career somehow. Yeah. Yeah. My my next movie is the director's cut of It's Pat. <laughs> do you remember It's Pat? I do remember It's Pat. It's Pat was an SNL skit it was. about a person who you could not tell their gender. Yes. Played by Julia Sweeney. Yes. And Julia Sweeney's mother once told her she looks so ugly when she plays Pat. <laughs> yeah. And so, so this incredibly transphobic film. Yeah. In this one, they're spliced in images of hardcore bestiality. <laughs> I think that's the only thing that could make the film more offensive. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the director's true vision for its pack. Right. With that there would be flash frames of... Bestiality. Exactly. Right. Um, and whenever you watch this movie, you throw up a little bit. <laughs> Out of your butt. <laughs> now, the very specific distinction. It's not shit. No. It's puke. It's vomitous. Coming out of your butt. Yeah. Okay. It's not, it's not, again, it's not always terrible curses. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just inconvenient curses. Right, yeah. Imagine you're on a hot date. Okay. And you put in, and you think you're putting in a regular version of It's Pat. <laughs> The best date movie ever. The best... If you want to get laid, <laughs> you take out your Laserdisc copy of It's Pat. Laserdisc. Dim the lights and prepare to fuck. <laughs> the original version of Netflix and Chill was just It's Pat and Chill. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh-oh, you grabbed the cursed version, oh, the director's cut, and now you're both puking out your butts. <laughs> Now some people are into that. Some people are. In that case, and that's where no the problem. That's where the big market for the It's Pat cursed right. version is. <laughs> it's available on Serbian eBay. Of course, Serbian eBay. Uh, Cbay. Cbay. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and my third movie uh -huh. is a movie I made. Oh, I didn't realize you were into making cursed films. Sometimes, you know what? I watched the It's Pat one. Okay. I puked out my butt. And I was like, this is a funny prank to play on others. Right, okay. You wanted to spread the love. Yes. And in my movie, I kill God. <laughs> okay. I hit him in the head with a hammer. Did you get an actor to play God? But is that no, actually... I captured God. You captured God I and captured God in an arcane device I call the Mercy Seat. Well, as as, a, as I baited a, him with peanut butter like a mouse. <laughs> Damn it! You know God can't can't resist peanut butter. <laughs> I was about to say something super fucked up. Uh, 
But I think it's something that might even offend you. <laughs> it's possible. Who you've you've gotten pretty insensitive to offensive things since you've met me. That's true. When I first when my first interaction with you was telling you about my the person I knew who got shot by a cop. Yeah, that's the yeah, yeah, you yeah. just you you just I just need to tell someone this. A person I know got shot by a cop and I was like, Oh <laughs> Yeah. There's a story that goes along with that too. But um <laughs> But yeah, I captured God on an arcane device I call the Mercy Seat. Okay. I hit him on the melon with a hammer. Okay. And now when you watch it, you get a little sad that God is dead. <laughs> That's all? You just get I, a little bit sad? I, I find being sad a curse. <laughs> if I'm not sad and then I'm suddenly sad, that's, that sounds like a curse to me. <laughs> so, by by that, by that logic is... Is uh, the 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 Notebook a cursed film? Did they kill God in the Notebook? <laughs> no, but I get a little sad when I watch it. I guess. <laughs> I mean, again, it's a sliding scale of curses. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not everything's Antrim, the deadliest film ever made. Well, I'm 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 a little bit bummed about God being killed. Cursed. So there, <laughs> there. I'm I'm cursed. As a Christian, that takes a lot out of my week. Is. Uh, I mean, we can assume his works are basically on autopilot. <laughs> Probably has some keyboard macro set up. Just yeah, yeah. Push but, a couple buttons, the sun comes up. Push a couple buttons, the sun goes down. But he was probably doing like a, a pretty consistent maintenance on things. So now that he's gone, the 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 entropy of the of the spinning of the of the spheres is really going to start kicking up a notch. I figured that was what angels were for, oh, to like okay. uh, swab out the works. Oh, okay, maybe so. Orly and Nathan run off. They go back to camp, and Orly tries to pack up their stuff. Mm-hmm. Nathan keeps digging and begins screaming when Orly tries to stop him. Yes, he's really Jason totting it up right here. He's uh, yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, an irritating child. Yes, I did not feel sympathy for he's, him. He's he's. Maybe a step down from the kid in the Babadook. <laughs> I still haven't seen that one. It's it's worth watching, but that kid is the worst. And he is supposed to be the worst, so it's great, but it's fucking terrible because that kid is the worst. I, I getcha. I getcha. Uh, they begin to run to a side. Nathan, once again, sees dark figures in the woods. Mm-hmm. They get on a boat. Orly is rowing, and Nathan disappears. She jumps in to find him. And while she's underwater, we see some words written backward. They are cave, ave, homine, unius libre, mm. which in Latin roughly translates to "Beware the man of a single book." And mm. this could be this could mean "Beware the man who has only read one book because he doesn't know that much," or "Beware the man who has only studied one thing because he's a master of it," or it could you could think of it as in a biblical context as "Beware the man who wields the Bible." Or it could be Ike, because he gave him the book. Exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the interpretations I thought. Yeah. Uh, and Orly just sort of pulls Nathan out of the water. I guess he yeah. was in water jail or something. Yeah, he was like, just he was just under the water. Uh, he was in the same place Jason was in between movies. Yeah. Water purgatory. Water purgatory. Back yeah. on land, Orly celebrates their escape, only to find out that they're back at their campsite. Yes. Now, was this poor navigation... Uh, or was this devil fuckery? Uh, I don't care. Okay, <laughs> it's, that's it's, fair. I, I I was more concerned with the fact that the the film did not communicate this well. Yes, uh, because they're they're on the lake and then they they come back to the and they're in the 
there there are ways to show that off that are better. Honestly, the only way that I knew that they didn't just stumble across a completely different campsite was the pit mm. and the acting of Orly. Yeah. But then they have a very serious... Oh, wait. Then, um... Next, Nathan sees the chain on the ground. He sees a chain, yeah. Uh, he begins screaming about Cerberus. Again, with this kid and the fucking screaming. There's cannibals about. They're trying to get you. And the and the girl's like, no, it's it's the hunters. It's the hunters. And he's like, Cerberus! Cerberus! You know, and I wrote down, even if it is Cerberus, shut up! Yeah, shut the fuck up, kid. Do you want to let Cerberus know that you're here? And... Fucker! This is where Orly admits that she made everything up. Yep. Uh, about the hole to hell and saving Maxine. She thought this would help him with his nightmares. She claims to have made up Cerberus, which makes her a liar. She's a liar. Greek pedophiles made that up. Exactly, yeah. She tells him the book isn't real and Ike isn't real. And then there's a great moment, which you probably weren't on board by this point, but I loved it. Oh, I, no, this scene was one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. Nathan says he's met Ike. Mm-hmm. And, and that's was a like, great... The the floor fell out from under you. Yes. It falls out from under you when that scene happens. That's a great turn. Yeah. And there's a, a beautiful black and white flashback. Uh, Nathan's out back of a place called Aaron's Diner just throwing some rocks. And my favorite shot in the movie, a black hand extends out from the side of a dumpster and beckons Nathan. Yes. And this is just beautifully shot. Nathan goes and follows and... What I hated about this sequence is this flashback is intercut with scenes from the present. And yes. it ruins the flow of this very stylistic, very effective scene. This is another moment that felt very Lynch to me, specifically that one scene from Mulholland Drive. The dumpster scene. The dumpster scene, yeah. Uh, Ike is fully black. He's not an African-American. He is pitch black. Yeah. Uh, his hair is in sort of like... Scraggly hair. Thin dreads. Yeah. And he, once again, he's positioned to block out the sun, which... No matter how many times the movie does it, I like how it looks. And then just to ruin things, they put a sigil right on his face. But I like this one because then he touches Nathan's forehead, uh-huh. and the sigil appears over Nathan's face. And it's this nice little... It's a very obvious thing, Yeah. but sometimes you do the obvious because it works well. One other complaint I have. It worked in the scene. It was a beautifully done scene. And if I hadn't had so much of a problem with the film up to this point... I would have let it go. But because I did, I didn't. Gotcha. Um, but in that scene, they used they use an effect in which they reduce the shutter speed. Okay. They, so so it's it's a it's a way of um, artificially inducing slow motion on your footage that makes the footage appear very choppy and and blurry. This is something that people started using around the time the MTV came around in the mid 80s and 90s, not in the goddamn 1970s. Especially not in Russia. Especially not, not in, in the Russia. Soviet <laughs> Union in the 1970s. Yeah, it's an MTV special effect being used in this movie. And again, if the rest if the beginning of the movie had set up a, a, a perfectly 70s ethos, and then it started to slip in some more modern things at the end, I would have let it go. It wouldn't have bothered me at all. But it had done such a bad job of setting up that ethos to begin with that now it was like, oh, and now we're just throwing this in. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And as a, a perfect capper to the sequence, Nathan says Ike showed him things. 
Mm. Specifically, that Orly would try to trick him with Maxine's collar. Ah. Nice, very well written, very well played. Best uh, scene in the movie. Yes. Best scene in the movie. Outside they hear the tent, they hear the Cerberus growling and his chains clanking. Mm-hmm. They run up a tree. Once again, Orly fires this fucking gun accidentally. Very poor gun safety in this movie. Mm-hmm. Very bad. Uh, this, well, it makes sense. to the NRA. It may, the NRA won't care. Uh, <laughs> it makes sense that the deadliest movie ever made would have the deadliest gun ever made, where if you just breathe on it, it fires a bullet. <laughs> and you, you can't make it not work. Well, Time, <laughs> Earth, will not stop it. What if the deadliest movie ever made was just people making very dumb decisions that almost kill them? <laughs> The entire movie. It's just dumb ways to die the song, except it's a movie. What if the deadliest movie ever made was a very sharp DVD that had, like, potassium cyanide on the edges? <laughs> so it's like when you put it, pick it up, you just immediately get poisoned and die? I think you'd probably get arrested for producing that film. But I yeah. think you'd be lauded for how daring and brave you are. <laughs> and again, I'm ha- now I'm having flashbacks to Cigarette Burns and those people that he meets in that in that, like, hangar area that are just like, it's art because it's real, and cutting off people's limbs and shit. Then we enter layer four. Yes. Incarnatus est metis, which Google translated for me as Power Fears, (laughs) which sounds like an amazing metal band. Power Fears! But in a video I watched, um, this guy translated as to fear in the flesh. Okay. Which makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Here we see a slowed down flashback to Orly and Nathan and their mother on a picnic. Maxine bites Nathan. That's why she went to hell. Yeah, that's why she was a naughty dog. Oh, I love their games. Yeah. <laughs> Back in reality, the cannibals are going through their tent. Nathan confronts them with his stick wand and he gets shot. Yeah, he, he Orly is trying to sneak them out of there very quietly and he wanders away from her and tries to take them out with a stick because he's an idiot, and Orly, who has been reaching for the gun, gives up on the gun, screams, and rushes towards his body like that's going to do anything. One, he's a child who's been lied to, so I don't blame Nathan in this. What I do blame is the writers for ripping off the ending of Crash, where a girl is given, like, an invisible magic cape by her father that will apparently protect her from anything. Oh, yeah! And then when her father is, like, uh... Oh, my God, that stupid Being movie. held at gunpoint, she, like, runs in front of him because she has the magic cape. Oh, my God, that stupid fucking movie. Yeah, what? it's the fucking worst. Won an Oscar. Yeah. Orly runs out, and she gets shot as well. I'll guess maybe it's with I tranquilizer darts. Tranquilizer darts. I, I, again... If it were me, and if I'd, if I'd let out an involuntary scream after seeing a, someone I loved get shot, yeah. which might happen, and I had a gun that I was this close to, I would grab the gun and start shooting motherfuckers! Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. They get taken back to the cannibals' camp. Uh, we get another flash of writing. Nihil pretiosis veritat. Nothing is more precious than truth. Adding into the theme of lies and what is real, what isn't in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cannibal in the white briefs puts on his antler hat, which I wish the antlers were bigger. Yeah. They're very yeah. scrawny. Yeah, and there's this, there's this tracking shot of him walking through their... Um, little junky garage. Their little junky garage thing, which I think was intended to add suspense uh, of this like creepy weirdo walking around being creepy and weird, but it just kind of felt like it was taking up space. To yeah, me. and by this point... 
I was off. I was over you, the movie. You, you were over it. Yeah. Once the cannibals came in, it became much more. Here's when it became like, like you said, more grindhouse than sort of very by the numbers prestige horror or seventies horror. It was very. It became a movie that I was much less interested in. It's kind of the it's kind of the same problem with actually a lot of modern prestige horror for me is that you can set up all of this atmosphere and stuff at the beginning, but then when it comes time to take the the Scooby Doo monster mask off and reveal what's actually going on, they kind of drop the ball. That was my problem with Hereditary. It was at the end I was like, no, <laughs> and I will disagree with you to the ends of earth, the earth about. That. I know, and that's fine. Yep, uh, Nathan gets put inside the Baphomet statue. Uh, the or- the hunters light the fire. Orly escapes. And here I have a, a, a note where it was a prompt for me to ask, how did this work for you? But you were off board. You were done with the movie at this point. Uh, which, which part? The, I, the, the kid being put into the Baphomet statue. He's screaming. He's crying. It, it feels like this is a moment that the filmmakers wanted to be very disturbing and effective. Yes. Did but not it work was for me. very limp for me. It did not work for me. I, 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 the next thing that happens is that Orly gets out of her cage and somehow finds the gun again. And shoots and both the hunters. shooting people. And that worked for me because I was just like, finally something's happening. Yes. I will say, this is where in my notes I started writing down names of movies I'd be more willing to believe that I would die after watching. Yeah, there um, some of those. So the tape from Ringu is very well edited. I think that the original, not the tape from The Ring, I've seen the tape from The Ring, and I think that puts too many spooky things in it. Oh, you're going against your best friend, Gore Verbinski? Uh, hey, Verbinski is, is the best, but I feel like this is one one misstep in his entire career of of incredibly smart decisions that he's always made. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, if, if you're watching Ringu, the tape from that, I definitely believe that I would die from, from watching that. That tape is great. I believe that I would probably die. I still think that I'm going to die for having watched Meet the Hollowheads. Uh, I have a much more respectable place in my heart for Meet the Hollowheads than you do. At the very least, I feel like I'm going to get like slime coming out of various orifices. Get an inconvenient curse, as you were putting it. And I definitely believe that I am going to die from having watched Twin Peaks The Return. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it's going to come very suddenly, out of nowhere, I'm going to scream, yeah. and then the lights are going to go off, and then someone's going to turn the lights back on, and I'll just, I'll just be gone. <laughs> and no one will ever see me again. Uh, Orly takes Nathan out of the Baphomet statue, and he's just covered in soot. <laughs> Which is it's, not how cooking works. It's, it's ash from the Japanese guy. They didn't clean out. They didn't clean it out. They don't seem like very uh, hygienic people. Like They're that. not. Yeah. Now we enter layer five, abyssus. Which just means like hell or the abyss or whatever. Mm. And this time we see the black hand of Ike touching the page, which would be a much cooler detail if either of us were still engaged with this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Nathan's just wandering around. He sits down, cries a little bit. Uh, he mm-hmm. finds a chain, the mm-hmm. chain that we've been hearing clanking. Yes. And it's actually attached to a dog, yeah. a husky-looking pup. Who stepped in a bear trap. Yeah, well, it's not a bear trap, but it is oh. some sort of trap. Bear traps have the teeth. I thought this one had the teeth, because the dog was bleeding. Yeah, but it can still bleed from the impact and the fractured bone. And oh, okay. I don't think it was a bear trap. It was a bit small. Okay, well, it was some sort of it was, illegal, it was, illegal hunting trap. It was a trap. Yeah, a trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathan frees it. The dog looks off. They exchange a look, mm-hmm. which I assume was very meaningful to the filmmakers. Sure. I cannot discern a meaning. Yeah. And this seems to be an ending that is showing, hey, it was all fake. Yeah. It was all in your head the entire time. And we indeed cut to the end credit. Or it could be an idea of, like, 
he set this dog free, and in a way, he's setting Maxine free from the hell that she's not actually in, although maybe she is. Sure. It, you could interpret it either way, and it goes to the end, yeah, and then Nathan suddenly... Nathan smiles, freeze frame, the end. And the, then suddenly... The movie keeps going for some reason. And it's like not a post-credit scene, it's like an entire it's, extra part of the movie. It's more movie. It's just more movie. Uh, we see a black screen with the yellow outline of a triangle. Orly is running around to... Trying to find Nathan. Yes. And this, a black outline of the triangle, very faint, stays on screen, which I sort of liked. Yeah. And then, there are demons in the trees. Yep, there are demons in the trees. Uh, they're chasing Orly. Back at back in the tent, she desperately burns the books and tries to fill in the pit. I like this sequence. Yeah. It didn't redeem the movie for me, but the actor, actress was... She was selling it. She was selling it, and she... I was being a sassy bitch at this point, because I wrote down, uh-oh, I hear a bunch of golemy sounding fuckers in the forest. <laughs> oh, and she keeps finding human bones for some reason. Well, because it's the suicide forest. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and eventually there's a long shot of her dirty and exhausted and just sitting in the tent staring forlornly. Yes. She hears the clanking of the chains and starts to cry. She aims the gun at the tent flap and we see Nathan dragging the trap behind him. Oh, cocks back the hammer as Nathan approaches and prepares to fire. She begins to recite the incantation of protection from earlier. And he's trying to call out to her, but his voice is gone. Yes. Yeah. Now we see a pitch black demon, some more black and white explicit footage the same shot as before once yep. again then we're informed that we have watched Antrim in its entirety wait a second the demon before its end he points his finger at the camera again calling back to the great train robbery by Thomas Edison points it at the camera and then there is a brief shot of him upside down which the article that you sent me posited is a reference to the end of Dante's Inferno where after finding the devil they climb down his body and end up on the surface of the earth, climbing up his legs. Interesting. Seems like a reach, but I thought I, I would mention it. I mean, it's possible. Like, I think there was some vague influence by Dante's Inferno, but I don't know Vaguely. that it extends past hell having layers. I started to look into it more, looking into Dante's Inferno and what the different layers were, and just gave up really yeah. quickly, because, no. <laughs> I told you it was a fool's errand. Yeah, you did. End credits, and now there's still more movie. Somehow. During the end credits, we get more documentary footage. We're told that the film contains binaural beats, which can cause emotional reactions. Also... Which is something that I've been researching recently. Well, not recently, but if, if you guys... If anybody out there follows the YouTube channel Glam and Gore, which is ostensibly a makeup channel, she's been doing videos recently about conspiracy theories that she finds interesting. Mm -hmm. And one of them, which is probably real, well, it's definitely real, are you know, binaural beats and different sounds that cannot be heard with the naked ear, with the naked human ear, but can cause people to panic or freak out. And the, the conspiracy element is whether or not the military and uh, police forces are using them on their citizens during the Black Lives Matter protests. Mm. They probably are. Be safe, everybody. But, um, yeah, so I, that part of it was deeply fascinating to me. And I would love for someone to tell me whether or not those are actually in the movie. Because I don't think that they affected me at all, unless that was what was making me pissed off. But... Um, <laughs> What a great move. What a great thing. That's some fucking four-dimensional chess right there. 
<laughs> they added in some extra layers, and I was just like, I don't know why, but this movie's pissing me off. God, I want a riot. <laughs> Where's a pregnant lady? Let me trample her. <laughs> I'll tell you what the effect is. It's pissing me off. We're told that in the occult, the triangle is a summoning symbol. Yep. Uh, the symbols we saw are also associated with the demon Astaroth, as we mentioned. Yes. And the last thing we get is someone talking about the power of belief. Mm-hmm. And how, if you believe in something very strongly, it could become real. Hanging a lampshade on the themes of the movie. Yes. Or hanging a lantern, I suppose, I meant to say. Uh-huh. Uh, and that is Antrim. Any final thoughts on Antrim? I just, I I, I don't like to be negative. And, it's you know, fine. I, I just, I... What a waste of time! Like I just, I yeah. there's there's some there are some legitimately good moments in this movie, but for every one of the good moments that I, we mentioned, I could point to another movie that did it. Yeah, and in some instances, that's like, you know, sure, steal like an artist, that's fine, but like if everything else in your movie is crap, there's no point in me sitting through it. I would I would much rather sit through any of the Exorcist movies or like an actual Grindhouse film. Yeah, or cigarette burns for the fourth or fifth time like it's it's i just i i i couldn't get anything out of this film gotcha for me it was it was a boring waste uh of my afternoon still glad i saw it because i was genuinely intrigued but yeah I, i can't recommend this film that's fine yeah i still give it a weak recommend i think there's enough Good in there to justify about an hour and a half of watch time. Sure. Uh, it's not essential in any way. No. But it's... There are some good moments. Mm-hmm. It's worth... It's not worth it, but it's not... You could watch worse things. Yeah. And I, again, I the, the, the thing that bothers me whenever I say something like that is I might I might think it. I'm being honest. But, like, it, I, I have made movies... And so I know what it feels like to put something out there. Yeah. And it always like makes me a little bit upset to say that Well, about I, somebody else's work. I don't feel that Antrim was a super personal thing. Okay. I, I, I believe that people put effort into it. Sure. But I don't think this was a passion project of somebody's, unlike Meet the Hollowheads, which, according to the production Definitely diary, a, a passion project. Was a very, very... The people who made it and believed in it intensely. Yes. Next week, for episode 10, we are going to watch my favorite film of all time, mm-hmm. and one of the most influential films on me as a movie watcher, Repo Man from 1984. Not Repo Men. Nope. Not Repo the Genetic Opera. No. Alex Cox's directorial debut, Repo Man. Has and Alex Cox made anything else I know of? The movie Sid and Nancy. Oh, okay. Yes, that was his follow-up to Repo Man. So when you when you told me that Repo Man is a really punk film, it's one of the most punk rock movies ever you're, made, you were not fucking around. No. Okay. Okay, I'm excited. And Billy will be watching it for the first time. I will be, and we'll be watching that together. So his his I've been avoiding spoilers ever since I met you. <laughs> his notes might not be as uh, intense as usual because we were watching this immediately beforehand. Yes. Or his his. Billy's thoughts you'll, might not be as solidified as they usually are. You'll be getting my m- most raw first reactions mm. uh, right off the bat. So we can't wait to bring you that. See you next time. See ya.